So James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27 is what we're going to cover over the last couple weeks. Um, we've talked about trials and suffering. We've talked about temptation. Uh, we've also discussed the idea that, or the fact that trials uh, give us the opportunity to lead us into a deeper and a closer walk uh, with Jesus. Remember so far that James has given us a picture of what he wants the church to look like, what he wants the individuals uh, that make up the church to look like. And James here is very concerned about making sure that the people of God actually look like God. The things that they tell other people, that they are actually practicing those um, on their own. Um, and then many times we can't change the things that are going on in our lives. We can't change the circumstances. Uh, we can't change the things that are going on around us. But what we can do is make sure that within those things we are living for Christ. We can't control necessarily all the times that the things that happen to us, but we can control how we react to those things. And so last week, the last verse that we covered was verse 18. One of the hardest things I've found so far, this is our fourth week in the book of James, is giving every verse the time and attention that it deserves. And we're just not going to be able to do that, which is why I want you to go home and read them um, yourself. But I want us to, to read verse 18, and it's going to usher us right into verse 19 through 27. That's also one of the beautiful things about going through a book in the Bible, is that you can pick right up where you left off and go back and cover more things if you need to cover it. So verse 18 is a really awesome verse that we really didn't cover a whole lot last week, but I want to just briefly cover it, and it's going to better help us understand verse 19 through 27. And verse 18, so hopefully you've turned in your Bible there, James chapter 1 and verse 18, it says this, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What does God mean when he says that? What does James mean when he says that? The, the idea of the first fruits, or we are evidence of God's new creation. We are a testimony to the world around us and the world that we live in of what God has done in our lives and what God can do in someone else's lives. We understand at the very end of all of this, when, when things cease to exist, that God is going to redeem all of those things. He will make a new heaven and a new earth. All things will be redeemed. Romans tells us that even creation the things that God has created are groaning and crying out for God, and that all things are going to be redeemed, and that we are a first fruits of that. So I am a first fruit of what God has done and what God wants to do in our world today. My life has been called to be a testimony of what God wants to do in the lives of all people. I am supposed to be God's testimony to the world by the things that I do, the things that I say, and by the way that I live. Paul states it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Ambassadors means that we are a representative. That we, as the children of God, we represent God to the world around us. To the lost people that are around us. We are God's ambassadors. We are his first fruits. We are a testimony of what God can do and what God wants to do. And so he's encouraging this church with that statement to know that you are supposed to represent Christ through the trials that you go through, like we talked about two weeks ago, through the temptation that comes in your life, you're supposed to represent Christ and display him and all of those things, but also the way you live out your life when it comes to the word of God. How you treat and handle this book is going to be a testimony to the world of what you actually believe about God and what God actually means to you. 
First Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3 says, Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. The point is this, and what James is going to talk about is, is that every person who confesses Christ should long for this book right here. You should long to read this. You should long to study this. It's like milk to a baby is what he's telling us. If you don't feed a child, what happens? They'll starve, and they will die. And it's the same thing for a believer. If you, as a Christian, are not longing for this milk of the Bible, if you aren't longing to be fed through the Word of God, you will be spiritually dead. Remember last week we talked about James is talking about temptation can lead to sin, and sin can lead to death, and the death that we described to you is a poor quality of life. It wasn't necessarily the death that we will all experience one day, that all of us will die. The death that he's talking about is a poor quality of life. And here's a prime example of whether or not I have a poor quality of life right now. When's the last time you've read the Bible? When's the last time you've picked up the Bible and studied it and allowed it to change your heart and your life? My relationship with Jesus is going to be, I believe, a direct result to how I treat this book right here. And I'm not going to tell any of us that we need to have a set time or a certain time or a length of time that we need to be studying it. But I can tell you this, if this is just like, let me read the verse of the day on you version, or let me just read a couple verses so I can get by, then you're missing the whole point of this. I long for it. The psalmist tells us I hunger after it. I can't get enough of this. I want to study the scriptures because I know the scriptures have so much good for me. And this is what James is going to talk about. So James chapter 1, verse 19 through 27. We're going to read it, then we're going to break it down as well as possible with the time that we have. Um, and if you have any more questions afterwards, you're, you're more than welcome to ask me. You should have some questions on the back that will better help you understand um, what we talked about this week that you can answer that are on the back of your handout. But let's read this. Hopefully, let's pray and, and ask God to give us a better understanding of what James is talking about here, and ultimately what Jesus is telling us here in James chapter 1. Verse 19 through 27. We're just going to read it all right here together. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the word. There's a couple phrases here that I want us to look at that will better help us understand what he's talking about. James says, know this. And the term basically here, know this, is meaning everything that you've read so far in verses 1 through 18, because of what's stated there, you now need to know this. So how am I going to be able to look at trials and suffering and find joy? 
How am I going to be able to do that? How am I moments of temptation when I seem to be overwhelmed by an inward desire of my flesh? How am I going to be able to overcome all of those things? James is going to tell us. So he says, know this. Because of those things, you now have this that will allow you to do the things that I've encouraged you to do in verses 1 through 18. But here's what you must do. Know this. Be quick to hear. I need to be quick to hear, which, which basically what James is telling us is, I need to be able to listen, and I need to be able to receive not only what people are telling me, but more importantly, what the Word of God has to tell me. I need to be quick to hear. Now, I recently have sat under um, someone giving a teaching on prayer, and they taught on prayer for about 45 minutes, and not once did I hear anything about being quiet and listening. Prayer, a lot of times, and even when we talk about the Bible, we talk about the idea of us reading or us saying something or us doing something. But James tells us, here's the, here's the most important thing that you could do is just listen. Just listen. See, God wants to do a whole lot of talking, and God wants to pour out a whole lot of stuff to us, but a lot of times we're yapping so much that we can't even hear the creator of the universe talking to us. We don't pick up the Bible, and we can't hear what the Bible's saying to us or wanting to teach us in our lives because we are always talking. And we're never silent before God. In a relationship, just imagine is like this. What if you and your relationship, let's just say with your spouse, you did all the talking but you never listened. What kind of a relationship would you have? Everything maybe that the person said went one ear and out the other and you never heard anything that that person said. It'd be a pretty tough relationship to be in, right? And it's the same thing maybe that we do with God, is that we tell God all of this stuff, and we lay out all of this stuff before God, and we never really give God a chance to speak. And this is exactly what happens when we pick up this, when we pick up the Bible, I want to hear from you. God, I, you know my heart, you know all these things that I have, you know all the prayer requests that are on my heart. I just want to come before you and be silent and listen, and I want to read, and I want to hear and I want to read this with expectancy. That I expect God to speak when I open up the Bible and I hear what God says. I listen to what God says. I need to be quick to hear. I need to be slow to speak as well as what James says, tying together. I need to do far more listening than I need to do talking. So think of it in your relationship with God. How much of your relationship with God is you talking and God listening? Just think for a second. You don't have to answer it out loud. Just think for a second. How much of your relationship with God is you talking and God listening? When it seems what James is telling us is that God wants it the other way. God wants to do a whole lot of talking in our lives. And he wants to speak into our lives. He wants to reveal things to us about our lives. But we are so busy talking at times we don't hear the voice of God. Now, when I say the voice of God, I'm not saying that you're going to hear an audible voice. And here's, but here's what I am telling you. All the voice of God that you need is right here. So if you haven't heard God speak, more than likely you probably haven't picked this up and read it in a long time. This is God's word, which means God speaks and God is speaking to us. So if I haven't heard the voice of God speak into my life, it's probably because you haven't picked up the word of God and allowed God to speak into your life. That's an awesome thing to think about, isn't it? The creator of the universe has a whole book where he speaks to us and lays out everything that we need for life and godliness to us. But how ironic 
is it that this is one of the more neglected things in all of Christianity. And not only that, I mean, this could be its own message within and of itself that at times we are moving away from the things that are laid out in this word. We're moving away from them. We're questioning everything that's within the Bible because we think we have a better idea of what we need to do in our lives. And the reason for that is is because we're doing far more speaking, speaking than we are listening. We have the answer to every question that we could ever ask. It's right here if we would just listen. I need to be quick to hear. I need to be slow to speak listening to more of what God says. But then he throws in this, be slow to anger. Now, if you read it, it doesn't seem like those two go hand in hand, does it? Or those three there. The, the quick to hear and slow to speak part, but he says, be slow to anger. Why do you think that's the case? Because here's what happens a lot of times when we read the Bible. Have you ever read the Bible and you've just been really ticked off about something? Have you ever just read the Bible and the Bible's been so up in your face? It's like, man... That's tough. James is telling us our, our natural flesh is to read something that we disagree with and be angry. Our flesh will tell us this. I know you don't necessarily need to listen to that. Remember last week we talked about the battle of the flesh and actually doing what the Spirit has told us to do. So he says, I want you to be slow to anger because I understand a lot of times what happens is that you can read the Bible, it can tell you what you're doing wrong and God can lay it out perfectly for you and your natural reaction can be to be angry at maybe yourself or maybe even be angry at God because of what he said in his word. But James says that doesn't need to be the case. I want you to be slow to anger. I want you to see, receive the word that you are hearing with peace. And here's what 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for, re re for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped in every good work. What is one of the purposes of the Bible? It is to teach me. It is to correct me. It is to tell me when I am wrong, what I am doing is wrong, and show me how I need to therefore live based off of what I've been doing wrong. I don't know of a single person who likes to be told what they're doing wrong. I don't know of a single person who likes to be told what they're doing wrong. Now, some of us receive it better than others, but no one just welcomes that all the time, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And this is a lot of times what happens with the Bible. But the good part about what he says there is that the Bible may tell us what's wrong in our lives, but it tells us exactly how to fix it, and it tells us that the Spirit will come along and work inside of us and show us and equip us and enable us to fix the things that are taking place in our lives that are wrong. That's what happens when we read the Bible. And for myself, if I'm honest, I think that's one of the main reasons why we don't read the Bible is because we know what the Bible is going to do. I think no person who genuinely reads the Bible out of a care for knowing what God says and wanting to be different can read the Bible and not be changed and be different. And we understand that. We get comfortable. We like the way we're living. We don't like to be told that we're wrong. So for me to just not read it means that maybe I have an excuse or I'm exempt from it because maybe I didn't know. I need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I need to receive the Word of God in a proper way. And not with this anger, but with this peace that he tells us about. James goes on in verse 21. He says that you need to put away all of these things. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He says the same thing basically that he said to be slow to anger. 
It's like you can read this Bible and you cannot allow it to change you, or you can read the Word and put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the Word with humility. It says meekness in my translation. Some of your translations probably say humility. Basically means the same thing, right? Humility means that I don't think too highly of myself. I don't mind being corrected. I don't mind being told that I'm wrong. I don't mind my heart and my life being changed by someone else. I don't mind someone else stepping in and taking control of my life and correcting and fixing the things that are going on in my life. He says, put away all of these things. Put away filthiness and wickedness and receive the word of God with meekness or humility. Allowing this word to change us from the inside out. Allowing my life to be a representative, to look like the things that I am reading within the scriptures. Matthew chapter 13 is a perfect example of this. Jesus is going to tell this parable, the parable of the sower. And I know for some of you may have heard it before, but I want us to read it. And this is exactly, I read this this week and I was like, man, this is what James has been talking about for the last three weeks. This is exactly what James has been talking about. Matthew chapter 13, verse 18 through 23. If you want to listen, you can. If you want to turn there, you can as well. You'll get a better understanding of exactly what James is talking about here in Matthew chapter 13, 18 through 23. Jesus speaking here, he says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. Verse 20, it says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a while, then tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately he falls away. Verses 2 through 12, right? The trials and the tribulations come. And then what happens to the person? They go away because things got tough. Right? And that what James tells us is our two options. I go away because things got tough, or I do what verse 2 tells me. I count it all joy, and I keep my hope in Christ. Verse 22, it says, As for the one who was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Last week, what did we talk about? Temptation. The temptations of the world come. The cares of the world come. And it snatches that seed away because it promises something that will never fulfill us or give us this ultimate satisfaction. So the things that James has already talked about, the temptations and the trials, if they're not sown properly, if there's no roots that are being dug in, those things will come and those people will walk away. Not from the church. They will ultimately walk away from Christ because things didn't go how they expected them to go. God didn't do what they thought God should do. God did ultimately what he wanted to do. It says, but as for the one who was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold and another 60 and in another 30. This is what James is talking about. This is where James wants us to be. James doesn't want us to be those people that, that when trials and suffering come, they're too much and we blame God and we blame other people and then we leave and we turn away from God and the church. 
He doesn't want us to be the other people that when temptations come, the cares of the world come, it gets too much and my eyes get unfocused from Jesus and I start looking at things and I start trying to find satisfaction and hope and joy and peace and other things apart from Jesus and I look to those things and I ultimately turn away from Christ. Oh, James says, I want you to be these people here that they hear the Word of God, they study the Word of God, they dig their roots into the Word of God, and they allow the Word of God to change them. And they take what the Word of God has said, and they've been changed by the Word of God, and they go out and do what the Word of God says, and they produce fruit. And their lives are changed, the church has changed, the world around them has changed, the community in which they live in has changed, their families, their workplaces are changed because they've dug their roots into the Word of God. And it doesn't matter what comes, what tribulation, what trial, what suffering, what temptation, what anything the world throws at them, they will not be moved because they are solid in the Word of God. He calls it doers and hearers. I think the important thing here for for us to look at is that James says we must first be a hearer before we can be a doer. So here's what I know. You will not be a doer of the Word if you never hear the Word. You will not be a doer of the word if you never read the Bible. So if you aren't carrying out what the Bible says, you're not reading what the Bible says. But then he says this, is that you can read the word of God all day long, and if your roots aren't dug into Christ, and if you're not allowing it to change you, you can read the Bible all you want to, but it's not going to make a difference long term. Maybe in a moment, maybe for a little bit, but things are going to come and it's going to wash you away. But I dig my roots into the Bible, and I allow the Word of God to change me. And he says, I do what the Word of God tells me to do. Here's the thing. I not only hear what the Bible is telling me, I go out and do what the Bible is telling me. I think some of us are really good at hearing what the Bible is telling us to do. And I honestly think some of us are even reading the Bible on our own, and we're hearing what the Bible tells us to do but we're not allowing it to get past here. I read it, I study it, but it never becomes going from the brain to the heart. And God wants it to go from the brain to the heart to the hands and the feet. That's what he wants the word of God to do. And we're studying, we're coming to church, you guys are listening, come to Sunday school, you may go to a small group, But maybe it doesn't ever get past that. And we're not doers of the word. Now, what's going to happen in the next few weeks is James is going to tell us what that looks like. What does it look like to be a doer of the word? How does that carry out in my heart and in my life? To be a doer of the word. John 14, 21 through 24, Jesus says this, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them... He is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. 
you can never accuse Jesus of beating around the bush when it comes to certain topics. He is so straightforward with people. He lays it out perfectly like this. If you do what the Bible says, it's evident that you love him. But if you don't, if you just refuse to do what the Bible tells you to, if you're not displaying these fruit in your life, you just don't love him. That seems to be laid out pretty simple there, doesn't it? And this is what James is talking about, of being a hearer and being a doer. He says, don't deceive yourselves, is what James says. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you are someone that you aren't. Don't deceive yourself by thinking that you just come to church and you listen to the word, that you are an actual doer of the word. Ask yourself, am I displaying the things that I read? These things that are taught from up here or in Sunday school or in different groups or the things that you may read, am I allowing those words to change me and am I carrying out and doing the things that I read about, that I've been told to do? Am I a doer of the word? And again, James is going to cover that more in depth in the next few weeks. But he says this, he says, a man who reads the Bible and he sees kind of how he's supposed to live, but he doesn't do anything about it is like a man who looks in the mirror, right, in verse 23. He doesn't change anything about his life. So imagine you woke up this morning, you looked in the mirror, and you said, whew, I am a wreck. I'm a mess this morning. My hair's all over the place. I'm still wearing my pajamas. I'm a mess. But you left, and you said, oh, well, I'm going out anyway. This is what James is telling us. A man who looks at a mirror or who looks in the Bible and looks at this thing and says, man, I'm a mess. I got things that, that, that God wants to do in my life. I got things that God wants to change. I got things where God wants me to change them. I got things that God's telling me to do that I'm reading about. And you look at this Bible and you throw it down and go, oh, well. Are we doing that? We know what the Bible's telling us. We know there's so many things that God's calling us to do. But we look at this, we throw it down and say, oh, well. I'm like a man who looks in the mirror and doesn't like what he sees, but he says, oh, well, what can I do? He says, don't deceive yourself. Don't be that man. Don't be that person. He tells us even, and, and later on, he says, he forgets or he is liberated. Those are the two choices. The man who looks in the mirror and forgets, he's still in bondage. But the man who looks in the mirror and sees, he's liberated. John tells us this in, in 1 John. He describes it as that I look at his commandments and I do them and they're not burdensome at all because I know they're the things that give life. They're the things that give me true peace. And then he has verse 26 and 27, which honestly you could almost think about breaking up verse 26 and 27 because it seems like they don't belong with everything else that he's talked about as I read them. But what James does is he sets up the coming weeks. And he's going to lay out some of the things. So he gives us an example of someone who isn't doing the word in verse 26. He says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And he's going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Someone who just can't keep their mouth shut and can't control their mouth and talks and says and does whatever they want to. He's like, if that's the type of person and you profess Christ and you just kind of have that attitude of you can talk and say and speak however it is you want to, what does he say? That religion is worthless. That religion hasn't changed a man's heart. 
And James is going to get even further and deeper into this because when he uses the term religion, he said it not only affects you, this religion that we're talking about affects the people that you associate with, the church. A lot of people's biggest concern when it comes to the church is the word hypocrisy, and this is exactly what he's talking about. So if I go and I tell everyone I'm, I'm a follower of Christ, but they know me as someone who can't control his tongue and says and does and acts however he wants to, he says you're not only deceiving yourself, you're deceiving those people around you and you're showing them a bad example of Jesus. You're actually not even showing them Christ at all. And you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting the testimony of the church that you are a part of, is what James is telling these people. But he says in verse 27, it says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He uses that example there because he's going to talk about it a little bit more as far as being a, a doer of the word and, and acts and your faith and carrying out with actions. He's going to talk about that. But he uses, I think, this example because there are groups of people here, what he's talking about here in James, is the orphans and the widows, people that, that really can't help themselves at times and really have nothing else to repay you with. So his example is this. If you're really following Christ, you're going to want to help those who have nothing else to give you back. You're going to want to serve and lay out your heart and your life to them and not expect anything in return. So religion that is truly doing and following God is a religion that is so focused on God that says, God, take, with, take me and do whatever it is you want to with me. Use me however it is you want, want me to be used. I'll give everything I have to you. It's a religion, it's a faith that reads the Word of God and allows the Word of God to change us. But he said the faith, the religion that is worthless is someone who has no desire really to study the Word. Or maybe you've studied the Word and not allowed the Word of God to change you. I want to close with Psalm 139. And I want you to, I want to read this, but more importantly, I want you to pray this. Right, this is just this is how we're going to close. We're going to read it, but I want to give you a chance to pray it. And ask God to do this. Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24. I think it's important for us as we close out chapter 1, we're going to start getting some really, this has been good stuff, but we're going to get in some really good stuff, I think, in chapter 2 and chapter 3 as he starts to carry out some of the things that he's set up here. Psalm 139, 23 through 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's a prayer. I want that to be your prayer. I want you to take a moment. I want you to pray that to God. And I want you to pray it with a sincere heart. Because I believe that if we pray that from a sincere heart, God is going to show us. He's going to search us. He's going to show us things that he wants to change and he wants to be different. And we're going to be different because of it. We're going to be blessed because of it. And we're going to be doers of the word because of what we've read. So take a moment. Just pray that. And then I'll close us in prayer. And then we'll sing our final song of worship together this morning. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would search us. We pray that you would know our hearts. 
pray that you would try us and you would know our thoughts. If there's anything in us that shouldn't be there, anything that isn't right, anything that is not of you, anything that you just do not want to be a part of our lives, would you reveal it to us? Would you give us the power to remove it so that we can be doers of the word? And I pray for every person here that they would so desire to read the scriptures, to study the scriptures, to hear the scriptures, but more importantly, to carry out the scriptures in which they hear. May we be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word also. May we not deceive ourselves into thinking that we are what we actually aren't. So we are dependent upon you to reveal to us exactly who we are. And we ask that you would do that. Give us the things that we need and the ways that we need to change the things that you show us we need to change. We love you and we praise you and we ask all this in Jesus' name.